one born in this millennium has a better than evens chance of living to age 100. Even if you're 60, there's a good chance you'll live past 90. Yet most of the financial advice we see is based around a time when people live shorter lives and it hasn't aged well and is probably wrong. The Century Plan looks at the financial decisions needed to maintain a comfortable lifestyle where your money outlives you and not the other way around. I'm Dennis Hall, I'm a Chartered Financial Planner and I've been giving people financial advice for almost 40 years. And I'm Sarah Steele, I work with Dennis and I'm here to ask questions on behalf of you, our listeners, and to keep things on the right side of technical. Okay, Dennis, so this is episode six of the Century Plan, and today we're going to be talking about forecasting, by the looks of it. Yeah, and predictions. And predictions, And why I think it's largely a load of tosh. Can I say that? Yeah, controversial. But before we get into that, that sounds very interesting, I'm just going to refer back to a previous episode um, on simplicity, where we discussed people putting together a file for when they died so that their spouse yes, I remember that. was yep. in a position to handle things without a lot of stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you referred to it as the dead file. I did. Which I thought was a bit blunt. Um, and at the time I wondered if there was something else we could call it. Um, you said it it was simple. So <laughs> and it we were on easy simplicity. for me to remember. Yeah, but one of our listeners, the lovely Amy, has been thinking about it and she suggested we call it the life pack. <clears throat> what do you think? It's probably an improvement. A bit more positive. A bit more positive, yeah. But enough of that. Back to forecasting. Yes. And, um, well, we've tried all kinds of ways to try and keep me on on track and on scripts, Sarah. Yes. Including scripts. But today I've got a mind map. And my mind map has, well, the first entry is um, Mystic Meg. Oh, yes. Mystic Meg. Mystic Meg. I remember her. (laughs) she, um, She died recently and I'm resisting the urge to say the obvious. Um, Mystic Meg, famous for horoscopes. Yeah. Um, and I think... I think she did the lottery as well, did she? I think I can picture her on television with her hands around a crystal ball. Yeah, she had, did she have purple hair or something? I can see purple, yeah. I can see purple. Mm-hmm. Mystic Meg, yeah. Um, uh, the only reason I'm bringing up Mystic Meg is to be able to use a, um, a phrase from John Kenneth Galbraith, a famous economist, who said the only function of economic forecasting is to make astrology look good. So it's an awkward segue. But if we think about it, uh, economic forecasting or anything to do with money and just trying to predict the future, which is what we're talking about, um, what he said really was that since economic output represents the aggregate activity of billions of people around the globe, and they're influenced by forces that are both seen and unseen, it's a wonder that forecasters ever get it right. And I kind of agree with him. And conversations I've had with other people, other people of influence, have sort of also led to that same conclusion. Um, um, There are lots of jokes about economists. Um, If you want to get an opinion... Ask an economist if you want to get an argument, ask two, or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something like that. But I had, you know, I was, for a, for a while I had a client who had been a member of the Monetary Policy Committee. Oh, yes. Um, and I may have mentioned this before, so I'll just yeah. very briefly run through yeah. this again. But, you know, he, 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 sort of in summary, they would do these, these, these um, periodic, these regular um, 
meetings where they would set the interest rates, but they're always preceded by about three days worth of um, presentations and discussions where they would get economists in from various sections of the government and they get economists in from the, sort of the large uh, um, banks and, and the like and they would all come in there and talk about why their predictions that they'd made you know the last month or the last six months have not necessarily panned out the way they thought they would mm. um, because of it, unseen influences. Sounds like making excuses to me. Yeah but how they're pretty confident about what they're saying now is, is going to be right going forward and it, of course it never is and he he said to me that I've seen enough of these things now to know that nobody knows no. and therefore when he was investing his money, the only thing he had control over was, I suppose, cost, what he paid for it. So he just wanted index tracker funds. That you know, And I was already a long way down that road. I, you know, I think a lot of people who joined financial services when I did were, were conditioned, and we're all conditioned to believe that somebody somewhere is in the know yeah. and can predict. Yeah. And, I mean, humans, we're humans. We... we want some certainty we love forecasting i think mm -hmm. that's why we some people read the horoscopes and actually believe what they're yes. reading and if they and, and then they'll try and map their life onto that horoscope yep. and oh that's exactly what happened to me today yeah but we need to plan with a degree of certainty we want and we crave it almost particularly in a complicated world where we are today and it's a bit of a dog eat dog world in some in some cases yeah. that we not to know that the money that we are earning and then putting aside for the future is going to be there in the future and it's going to allow us to live um, uh, the life that we want to live or, or, and attain and maintain a particular standard of living. And we've been predicting in all kinds of ways. Um, we've got the weather. We've been predicting the weather. The humans have been predicting weather for thousands and thousands of years. Yep. We devote some of the most powerful computers in the world to analyze weather we've got it's happening on earth 24 7 all the time and still we get it wrong as you only you know more than most how wrong the weather can be yes i do um we live in a village on the edge of exmoor uh it's about 200 meters above sea level and as you know dennis if it snows i get snowed in uh, so i watch the weather very closely and i'm familiar with the the cycles and the models and if they tell me it's going to snow in 10 days time then I'm online shopping for bags of pasta and tins of beans <clears throat> to make sure we've got enough food in and we order logs uh, extra logs for the wood burner in case there's a power cut uh, and then in 10 days time it rains so all that shopping for nothing but you know it can happen in the opposite direction as well when it says it's going to rain and then it snows and we're not ready for it so uh, as much as we are glued to those forecasts, they're just not that reliable. Now, I want to bring this back away from the weather um, to a guy called Bob Beckman, yep. um, or Robert Beckman. Um, when I first started, almost 40 years ago, Bob Beckman was big news. He had his own radio show on LBC. Um, he had written a book called The Downwave. It had sold half a million copies. That's a phenomenal amount of books. Mm. He'd started his, his working life on Wall Street or as a banker at age 26. He'd earned, and this is in the 50s, he'd earned a million dollars. Okay. When a million dollars is, yeah. I don't know what it was worth in today's terms. It's a lot of money. <laughs> Lost it all by age 27. Oh. Um, and it took him 13 years to make his next million. 
And th I think that experience for him permanently disillusioned, well, yeah, he was permanently disillusioned by the stock market. He was, he was sort of, wanted to be a cautious investor, a doomster. Um, in 1979, for example, he predicted that property prices would fall by 50%, and they didn't. Right. He later predicted that there would be a second Great Depression. Mm -hmm. He said that in 1983. And, to be fair, there was a crash in 1987. Yeah. But the Financial Times did some research that said, look, in 1987, after the crash, the shares were still twice as high as they were in 1983 when he predicted this Great Depression. He then said in the, in the early 90s in another book that property prices will not boom mm. in the 90s. <laughs> and they went on to rise by threefold. Yeah. So Bob Beckman was invariably wrong. And like a broken clock is right uh, twice a day, Bob Beckman was probably not even that accurate. No, but he sold but a lot of books. <laughs> sold a lot of books. Mm. And there are plenty of other people who will take on the mantle of being um, a forecaster, a forecaster or a predictor. Fund managers are asked all the time in, in, in newspapers about their predictions. There's that annual Christmas column that says, what are you predicting for the year ahead? Um, it, even I have been asked this for the sort of the trade publications. What are my predictions for the future? And I mean, sometimes you try and answer the question when you're a bit younger and you... You're pleased to be asked. Yeah, yeah. So sort yeah. of an ego trip. Ooh. Of course it is. But uh, these days I just say I don't know. And that doesn't... But saying I don't know doesn't sell newspapers, so no. I don't get asked anymore. <laughs> um, but th and thinking about it, that's what the newspapers are trying to do. They're just trying to sell newspapers. Yeah. And money and predictions are things that help sell. If, if nobody was bothered about horoscopes or predictions, then the, the newspapers wouldn't be putting them in there no. because people wouldn't be buying them. So if we look behind it, what is the motivation for people trying to tell us these things? And it's because they want to sell something else. A fund manager wants to sell his fund from which they will get their management fee. A newspaper wants to sell newspaper subscriptions. Um, it, it's just revenue for their their own fundamental business. And I'm not saying they're doing this maliciously, but what do they know? They're giving you what you want. And I've been reviewing the tipsters, particularly the newspaper tipsters, um, this afternoon before we started this recording. I was just checking on the, the last five years' performance of people like from The Times, The Telegraph, The Independent, and all those, those traditional, the Daily Mail, those traditional tips, yeah. those that have money pages, those tip sheets. And one or two have done well. You can look at that with some fund managers. One or two from time to time have done well, but collectively they have failed and they have underperformed. And these, these are tipsters who not even got the, the costs of buying and selling. So when you start factoring in taxes, buying and selling, they're probably going to underperform the market even mm -hmm. more. Yeah. Um, but some years are better than others. And there's a, there's a, uh, there's some research that's done by Standard & Poor's. Uh, online you can look up uh, SPIVA, S-P-I-V-A, stands for Standard & Poor's, Indices versus Active. Um, and it just looks at the performance of managers, active managers, against the indices. And they're going back, they've got 20 years of data now and scorecards over 20 years mm. across nine regions like the US, the UK, Europe, Japan, emerging markets. and. The prognosis is that, that really um, the majority of active managers 
underperform the indices. Right. But there are periods, and short periods, where they will outperform. So last year, I think, 2022, yeah. 80% of managers in the US underperformed the index. 80, about 80%, 80%, okay. Previous year, about 50%, about 50% of them underperformed. Um, and there have been, I think, the year before that, actually a very small... Uh, sorry, it was uh, the majority, but it's a small majority hmm. um, of, of fund managers did outperform the market. Okay. But what they're saying is that that's no predictor of future ability. Yeah. These are random things. Eventually, they most fund managers begin to underperform. Okay. Are we talking active versus passive management again, Dennis? Yeah, we are. We yeah. we, we keep coming back to that yeah, already, we do. don't we? Yeah. But it's, you know, it's what we can control. We. Yeah. I'm trying to say that. That, that forecasters don't really know. No, exactly. Um, and it doesn't matter whether we're talking about funds or horse racing. I'm going to talk about horse racing now, because do you listen to the Today programme? Occasionally, yes. I listen to it every morning on the way in. Right. Okay. And every morning they, they, they talk about racing tips, yeah. market raising, yeah. um, um, you talk new to market. You talk, yeah, I don't know. I don't follow racing, really. <laughs> I, I do follow the tips. Um, and they, they're trying to give tips. So last year in, again, 2022, um, they tip. They had 566 mounts, I think that's what they call them. Horses. Horses. Yes. 566 yeah. mounts that they picked to, to win, um, and only 108 did. Right, okay. These are tipsters. It's I mean, fit. this is not even the weather. <laughs> this isn't stock markets around yeah. the globe. This is, you know, a couple of dozen horse races Professionals. around. Professionals. Yeah. Supposedly. And you've got all that data in the newspapers, the weight of the horse, weight of the jockey, what's his what is the last run by, all of these things. Yeah. And they've less than one in five of their horses have won. And these are the ones they've tipped. And if you'd put a pound on each race, yeah. by the end of the year, you would have lost 69 pounds. Okay. Right. Tips to Not a model to follow that. Not a model to follow. <laughs> no, right. But again, we're sucked into this, maybe. For horse racing, it's, maybe it's a bit of fun. Maybe. Maybe. But... Um, but there's huge business in tipsters. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, early on, I used to buy these tip sheets, penny shares, penny stocks and things like that. And you get sucked in. You look at the language patterns that they use when they're trying to predict stocks that win. In fact, I was looking at something this weekend um, from one of the platform providers. Is it time for the high street to shine? I think the headline was. And you think, well, is it time for the high street to shine? Is I'm it? interested. <laughs> I'll it? read this. And you're looking yeah. at, you know, and you're reading through this and all the reasons why it might be, you know, the high street's ready to emerge. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the failure of certain online shopping things and, the, oh, right. you know, how people really want to go out and, and you know, how sort of town centres are trying to reshape themselves and, and, and you get to the end, and if you want to share in the emergence uh, of, you okay. know, here are, the, yeah. here are the stocks that we suggest you, you buy. buy. Yeah. Um, and all they want to do is to get you trading on that platform. Okay. Um, but it's the same as thematic stocks. You know, I've, I've read some incredibly detailed research around water, for example, or mm. particular types of energy. And you read this and you read this and they give incredibly compelling but very narrow arguments to the point where you begin to exclude everything else around. Yeah. Um, oh, I really must buy that mining stock. I really must buy that something else stock. As if you're the only person reading that and nobody else has, has picked up on, mm. on, the, on the information. And actually by the time you're reading it, the rest of the world knows if it wants to. Everything's priced in already. Yeah. 
Yeah. This is making me feel much more savvy about reading this sort of thing. <laughs> well, it's we, helpful. It is. We, we shouldn't do it. I mean, that's not to say that some people don't or I shouldn't say predict. I don't want to use the word predict. That some people don't have some skill. They do. There are some, there's some great fund managers that have been out there. Bill Gross of, of PIMCO and Peter Lynch. But, you know, Bill Gross, for example, was the guy who was managing more bond money than anyone else in the world at one point with, with, with almost 300 billion of bonds wow. under his management. Gosh. At one point, it was the biggest bond fund in the world. Um, but he, he predicted the 2008 stock market crash. Okay. Um, or, the, 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 or the credit crunch, essentially. But in subsequent years, when he left PIMCO and, and joined another fund management firm, um, with his huge ego, apparently. Yes, should, well, fair well, enough. You should read some articles about that. <laughs> okay. Um, but it, there was a fall from grace. And same with a guy called Peter Lynch, who, who uh, Fidelity's star fund manager with the Magellan Fund. Um, incredible performance over a period of years, but you know when he left, he made some, some calls. And... And, and I suppose we can't really go without talking about Warren Buffett, who is who is the fifth richest person on the planet. Yeah. Don't you want, you want to talk about him a bit more, don't you? A I bit do. More I want to. I think what I'd like to do is our next podcast. I want to talk about Warren Buffett because he is referred to often by people. Um, right. And yeah. yet Warren Buffett, the guy who says, look, when on his deathbed, he wants ninety percent of his money to be invested in the S and P five hundred index for his family mm. because he doesn't believe that people out there can do what he does. No, um, he's, he thinks he's only met about ten people in the world who can manage funds the way that he manages. Okay. And he is a fascinating individual. I've read several books about him, um, and not all of them are nice uh, or flattering. Flattering, yeah. But they okay. they he do say. That, but that he is a phenomenal individual, and I'd like to look at that and, and okay. to see why why the most of us, the rest of us, are not going to be like that. Yeah. And, but also some some really good lessons that he's that he can give us about patience and and really not just following you know that that herd of people saying we know we know we know. Where was I going with this? I'm not sure I don't now. Know. I think we were talking about what we're going to talk about next time um, and why forecasting is for mugs. <laughs> well, yeah, I think forecasting too strong. is... Yeah, it, well, it, it is strong. Yeah. Um, but there's no consistency to it. No. And I think that's where we are. Well, you've demonstrated that with your examples today. There are so many things that can go wrong. Yeah. You know, you, you might have all the research there to say why something's going to happen. And um, then Liz Truss becomes Prime Minister with Kwasi Kwarteng. And suddenly yeah. there's a budget out there that throws everything yeah. up in the air from which we have not properly recovered today. Yeah. Um, so if we can't forecast, what should we be doing? Well... Or if we can't listen to forecasters, what should we be doing? Well, I think it's interesting. It's entertainment. Yeah. But it's, it's, this is getting back to the financial planning. What are we trying to achieve? Mm. And, you know, looking at the evidence, what should we be doing? And then do it and switch off from all the noise. Because that's all it is. Forecasting and all this. It's, it's been referred to as financial pornography. <laughs> um, okay. And I think it is. You know, yeah. we want to sit there and just read this thing that makes us feel good. Hey! <laughs> um, it, it, it's... 
Okay. It's just a it's a waste of time. So you know, don't feel bad about reading it or listening to it, but take it all with a I big I go watch reruns of, of The West Wing instead. Oh, okay. It's just far more entertaining <laughs> than than reading these guys. Um, who, who you're only going to be lining their pockets as yeah. they're selling their their books or whatever. Okay. All right. Um, well, that's a ooh. good warning to people, I think. So. Well, it lets, well um, in no uncertain terms, I'm not a fan of forecasting. Okay. Um, I think there are one or two individuals out there, but the, to think that those one or two individuals that might have some a real bit of knowledge that could change the world, they're going to give it to us? No, that's really? a very good point. Yeah, let's go forwards and think about <laughs> Warren Buffett. For yeah, Warren Buffett, that's, that's fascinating. Fascinating. I can't wait to talk about him. <laughs>